It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. And hey there. Legata hey the cat and uh, Basil the dog. Uh, those of you who just listen on the podcast, yeah, is, uh, has he stopped woofing over there? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any delivery trucks on the block yet, so as soon as they start showing up. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get a little woof in the background. That's fine, you know? I like the background noise, so a little bit of, I mean, we, we, we like having uh, animal sounds on, on the show mm-hmm. as often as possible. And, and uh, for... you know what I just noticed on that entry? What? what? You're... You know, you talk about the photos. We yeah. don't have any fall photos up there. We need We've to got... do. We need to do a new intro. Uh, it's time to redo it. Uh, I've got new stuff. Um, uh, just a new announced copy and and everything, and we and we should do that. Um, but I should also uh, call to your attention if you're looking right below you there. Um, another one of our sponsors is is back, and that's uh, Happy Leaf uh, LEDs. Um, and of course there's no Amos, not winter yet. No, 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 no. Sorry, Amos, not winter. Mm -mm. Oh, so folks are already, uh, oh yeah. Everybody's saying, uh, oh my goodness. They're all saying good morning. Tracy Moncure. Hi, Tracy. I'm so glad she's watching out in, um, near San Diego, California. Sunny California. Uh, yeah. The sun's not up yet. It's only seven o'clock out there. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, and, uh, over here it's, uh, it's, it's not up either. <laughs> it's, there's not much, uh, uh, sun. There's a hundred percent chance of drizzle. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're, we're in the in-between period now and our meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be talking about that, uh, on the show today where, um, we're, we're lurching between the thirties and the fifties, um, in a couple of it's days. Lurking. Um, yeah, in a couple of days. It's lurking, to... lurking between, not lurching between. Lur- no, no, lurching. Lurching is the word I wanted. Not no, lurking. Lurk- lurking. Lurking is when you're, you're hiding and coming out. Lurching is when you're going, ah, and going back and forth. That's lurching. Hey, Mac, good morning. <laughs> um, Mac, at any rate, going... it's, uh, uh okay. I, I, I would say we're lurking between cause the temperature is like up, down, up down no but see so like, eh. that's that's why i would use the word lurch let's not get into it um all right uh at any rate we can fill a whole half hour that way yeah i suppose we could <laughs> uh but uh um uh 
fun show today. Uh, we're if you're if you like to climb trees, and uh, you're a gal, uh, this is the show for you. Uh, you don't even have to climb trees. I, I put that in the blog post. Uh, um, I said to, you know, women climbing trees because that's a little. It 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 has uh, more of an image. It resonates a little more. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking about careers in arboriculture. And speaking of words, uh, if you type arboriculture into, oh, I don't know, a Word, a Word document or WordPress or Facebook, um, they do not recognize the word arboriculture. Um, and I looked up the, de- uh, the pronunciation of it. Sometimes it's arboriculture because we uh, we uh, are, the English language has been so badly compromised. Now we'll allow any pronunciation. We really don't care anymore. It's like just, just don't just say it. Yeah. Just don't call <laughs> me late for dinner. Is is all we care about anymore? Um, but uh, so whether it's whether it's arboriculture or arboriculture, uh, Jill Bondi from tree Bart- stuff. Uh, Bartlett Tree Experts will be here to talk about. She uh, has been an arborist herself uh, in the past and has done a lot of things in the horticultural world. In fact, when I first met her, um, I believe she was working for uh, Midwest Ground Covers. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even earlier than that, I, I met her. Uh, we'll, we'll have to... Uh, yeah, well, uh, she was with another tree company, probably. Uh, um, I'm not sure she's been with an, another tree company. Yeah. Was she? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, I know she was, she's done other kinds of horticultural work and she will start and talk about what women are doing in the world of arboriculture and, um, uh, the numbers are going up, which is kind of cool. All right. I should adjust too. I'll adjust down. How's that? You adjust up. I'll adjust down. For those actually, of you... I pulled it down cause I look like I'm looking up at the camera. So. Oh, well, uh, so Jill Bondi will be here. Um, at the the bottom of this hour. And then um, at the top of uh, the 10 o'clock hour, uh, we're bringing in um, a guy who is going to talk to us about glass recycling. I met him. His name is Scott DeFife. And um, he is uh, with a couple of organizations. He's president of the Glass Packaging Institute, or GPI. Uh, but he's also with the Glass Recycling Foundation, um, and I met him uh, through the Illinois Recycling uh, Foundation, which, in full disclosure, I am a, a board member. And Director. Uh, um, yeah, whatever. Um, and, That's what uh, it says on the website. It says you're a director. On, not on my website. Uh, no, so, on the Recycling yeah, Association I, website. Believe me, I don't direct anything. I, just, I, <laughs> I show up to board meetings, um, online board meetings. And, uh, and he was receiving uh, an award uh, from, uh, from the IRA. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about, and it's so interesting, if you do any research on glass recycling, you, and I'll ask him about this. Half the time they say, oh, it's so difficult. It's very difficult. And the, half, the other half they say, oh, my gosh, it's wonderful, and you need, we need to do more of it. Um, and it, there's, you, you kind of get whiplash when you, you read about both. Uh, so he will be with us uh, to talk about a campaign they, they did in Chicago 
started uh, uh, in uh, a couple of places in Arizona and Chicago called Don't Trash Glass. Um, and it involved the corona people, uh, not, not the virus, but the beer. And um, they had a, a, a glass crusher or on site, and you could go and watch glass be crushed into sand, which I would like to see. I wish mm-hmm. I wish we had it today. I wish we had the machine here so that we could yeah. we could do that. But uh, we'll be yeah. talking about glass recycling because um, for those of you uh, who have single stream, and that is the the blue cart where you throw everything in, um, mm-hmm. glass can sometimes be a contaminant, and we need to talk about that. Why? Why? How did we get to the point where we used to take our glass bottles back to the recycling, and now we? Um, we look at glass and say, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be putting that in there. I think that's nuts because glass is I, recyclable. Yeah. And we'll talk about it in hour two with Scott. But I was just amazed, shocked, surprised to find bars, restaurants. I mean, the presumption would be, of course, look at all that glass bottles. Wouldn't they be recycling? I was just like, what? And yeah. I'm sure most of us. Most people, or many, many people, are thinking, "Well, of course, the glass is getting recycled." So, yeah, it's going you, to be an eye opener talking with Scott. Yeah, yeah, uh, because uh, um, the, the, a, a number of restaurants and bars were involved in the "Don't Trash Glass" program, mm-hmm. which came to Chicago. But it needs to happen all over the country. Yeah. So, um, it's it's fascinating stuff. The, you know, we 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 focus a lot on plastics. But uh, glass and recycling glass is very, very interesting. So uh, Scott DeFife will be here at 10 o'clock. And, of course, meteorologist Rick DeMaio talking about how we're lurching between cold. He's got some explaining to do here. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, Lurching between cold weather and and warmer weather. But uh, snow is around now. We may be getting some. And, yeah, okay. So um, one of the things that we can chat about before uh, all of that is the COP26, which has finally come to an end. And, and, it's, and as I, I was just talking about glass and you get the two sides of that, you're getting the two sides of COP26. We talked about it um, last week um, mm-hmm. as well. And um, that's the big climate change conference that's been going on in Glasgow, Scotland for the last two weeks. Right. Glasgow, uh, and and uh, one of the articles I read said the, uh, the 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 natives over there are getting used to people saying glass cow, uh, which is how Americans pronounce it, um, and it's um, I think it's it's sort of jarring uh, to them when they hear glass cow. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of a, a of a cow made of glass. Well, that's uh, like Edinburgh versus Edinburgh. Right. Exactly. Egg, exactly. Um, so when you when you look at all the different um, reports on it, half of them are about how there were all these accomplishments. Rick DeMaio, of course, was uh, uh, Mr. Positive last week when he was reporting on it. And, and uh, I get that. Um, uh, but then the other half of the reports uh, are about how very little has gotten done. And well, actually, then there's a third uh, series or group of reports, which is about the protests that have been going on and the people who were shut out 
of the process. Um, and by the way, for as we, any number of reasons, not just one reason, but many reasons. Right, right, and and some of it was yeah, a, a lot of it was financial. Couldn't afford yeah. to be there. Some of it was, had to do with the pandemic and the restrictions uh, regarding mm-hmm. the pandemic. I, I just saw the article you sent me from uh, NPR, uh, and I and I should have copied the photo, but I I didn't have time. Uh, shows uh, John Kerry uh, not wearing his mask properly. Okay, it's got he's got the mask here, right below his nose. Now I don't know if it yeah. had just slipped or whatever. I and I, I looked at that. Come on, well, John. There was a photo in the New York Times too um, of one of the. Um, yeah, here's somebody, a director from one of the countries without even having a mask on and everybody around him has masks on and he's standing right in the middle of everybody with no mask too. It's like, what, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Um, and, and some of it was also the, when 50% of the world can't have access to vaccines, that also kept some people from attending because everybody had to have proof of vaccination to come in. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and as I said, some, some of the stuff was related to, to COVID and uh, I'll tell you um, we're still in a COVID world. It's uh, odd. Um, Yesterday. Okay. On a Saturday, I don't know if you knew this, but, and folks who watch the show, see the uh, ad, we'll have an ad today uh, for my caroling group, the uh, frozen Robins. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, we had, we were at a tree lighting yesterday lurched into the season we did we lurched in i lurch everywhere uh we lurched in and um um it was so odd um because we strolled up and down a street in evanston but we also popped in to uh establishments some were restaurants other stores um and when we went in the masks went up and we sang with the masks when we went out we uh, we didn't have to worry so much about it, um, and it's and it's and uh, talk about whiplash. Uh, that whole thing is where where are you now? You know you're, you're judging where am I in the world? Where uh, what's my situation? Do I need a mask here? Do I need to find out whether the people around me have been vaccinated? Um, and uh, uh, I I found out this week, and I was blown away by it that my mail carrier is not vaccinated. And she said, she's hmm. still, she's thinking about it. And, I'm, and I, I just thought, wow. Okay. And I, I'll bet other people know folks like that. I mean, I, in my circle of friends, pretty much everybody's vaccinated. In fact, um, I'm getting my booster tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, most everybody I know has already gotten a booster. Um, but, um, Yikes. Uh, it, so it, I was just made aware. So when you talk about the cop 26 and what's going on over there, um, it's the same thing here. It's like, where are you? What state are you in? What city are you in? The rates in Chicago are, are actually, they're, they're going up, but they're pretty good. I was looking at a map of Illinois, um, mm-hmm. Northeast part of Illinois, including city of Chicago has among the lowest rates in the state of, uh, COVID, uh, infection. Uh, and that's good. I'm glad to hear that, but it's not perfect. And they are rising a little bit. And I'm a little concerned as we get into the holidays that, uh, we're just going to have a replay of 
every time we get into the holidays, we get we seem to get a bump. Um, so that that took us off the the, the course from the, the COP twenty six. But um, you were mentioning the photos, and and then the photo I saw uh, drew that to my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like that article that uh, you sent the NPR. Um, and one of the things they said, uh, I'll be going through some of what they report on, uh, and, and I'm going to cheat. Let's get yeah, and I've got a couple New York Times pieces that have some uh, six takeaways. Yeah, the new the NPR was, um, here's what world leaders agreed to and what they didn't at the UN right. Climate Summit. Exactly. Um, and uh, it said that uh, as negotiators met in closed door sessions thousands of activists filled the streets to remind them the world has less than a decade to get greenhouse gases under control and that's you know unless you talk to people like guy mcpherson who says oh we've already we we blew past that deadline long ago yeah um, or countries that have said okay 20 uh, 2060 and 27 well what? yeah and that's india it's saying you know and, and apparently they fought, they fought back against uh, uh controls uh uh, uh, coal burning controls. I'm like, really? Um, okay. Uh, at any rate, um, emissions need to fall around 45 percent by 2030. All right, we're all nine years. Yeah, not even that. To give the world a chance of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees C. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, by 2100. And it, instead, they're expected to rise. I don't know why I'm laughing about it. They're expected to rise almost 14% over the next nine years. Yeah, Um, well, some of that's also lag. Even if everything were to stop immediately, the lag time to stop the rising, some of it. Yeah, and there's there's different kinds of lag. There's the lag of the, um, of of policy going into Mm -hmm. effect. Uh, and what that does, there's also the lag of carbon dioxide and, and, yep. and methane, which yep. stay up in the atmosphere for a, a long time. Um, and uh, I, one of the articles, um, let me find this one, because... Uh, yeah, well, here, and, and um, in the end, uh, developing countries already suffering damage from more intense hurricanes and droughts made a unified plea for climate justice. Richer countries are responsible for the bulk of climate emissions, they said, but poorer countries are suffering the most. In the end, they were the most disappointed as COP26 ended, leaving mostly with promises that their pleas would be addressed in the future. And uh, the Minister of Environment, Climate Change, and Technology of the Maldives said, please do us the courtesy to acknowledge that it does not bring hope to our hearts, but serves as yet another conversation where we put our homes on the lines. While those who have other options decide how quickly they want to act to save those who don't. And that reminded me of a story I saw just the other day in the Washington Post. Um, the headline During climate negotiations at COP26, extreme weather was rampant around the world. So, for instance, Monday, November 1st, um, uh, Prime Minister Modi of uh, India vowed to reach net zero emissions by 2070, they write here, disappointing many climate advocates who wanted the nation to aim for an earlier date. The the announcement came during northeast monsoon season in South Asia. Heavy rains in India and Sri Lanka in October and November triggered 
fatal flash flooding and landslides. Now, India receives most of its rain during the monsoon, with flooding is always a concern. However, research shows that monsoonal rains, such as during the summer, uh, will become heavier and more erratic because of global warming. Uh, Tuesday, November 2nd, more than 100 countries signed the Global Methane Pledge, um, a commitment to reduce methane emissions by 30% by 2030. As you know, and, and this is interesting. They say methane here, they say, is, is a greenhouse, greenhouse gas. It is about 80 times more powerful than carbon dioxide at warming the planet in its first 20 years released in the atmosphere. All right. And sometimes you see somebody says it's 30 times more powerful or it's 20 times more. It's, let's, let's just say it's more powerful. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and uh, interestingly, China and Russia some of the largest emitters of methane had not signed the pledge. But meanwhile, uh, Japan, which signed both agreements, experienced record-breaking rainfall the same day on November 2nd. Uh, on November 2nd, the town of Kikonai in northern Japan's Hokkaido prefecture set a national rainfall record of 2.2 inches in 10 minutes, 2.2 inches. I had, uh, wow. um, had that in your basement. I had right. It, it, well, and by the way, that rainfall in Japan did empty into my basement. Just letting you know that wherever there's a rainfall around the world, it ends up in my basement and so on and on. They go through all these different dates and say, uh-huh. meanwhile, in this part of the planet, um, I'm sure there's one, let's see the, um, Uh, yeah, Southern Africa experienced mm-hmm. exceptionally hot weather. Temperatures reached 111.6 degrees Fahrenheit in Mozambique with another mm-hmm. heat wave on the horizon. Botswana hit 108.9, uh, only uh, 0.6 uh, degrees Celsius from its high in November. So all of it, this is, yeah. you know, these are the... Uh, uh, the indications yeah. that we we need to act quickly, uh, mm-hmm. but that's one of not... the. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the interesting ones I saw was the deforestation, which is I, I need to read more about. But leaders of more than one hundred countries, and this is from New York Times, leaders of more than one hundred countries, including Brazil, China, Russia, and the U.S., vowed to end deforestation by twenty thirty. The agreement covers about 85% of the world's forests, which are crucial to absorbing carbon dioxide and slowing the pace of global warming. Some advocacy groups criticize the agreement as lacking teeth, noting that similar efforts have failed in the past. So that was kind of an interesting point of the agreement there, which I, again, I haven't read that much on, but that was pulled out very specifically in this article as one of the, one of the so-called quote unquote wins. Yeah, this deforestation well, agreement. Right, the deforestation, the methane, those are the, the two in the first week that were touted as being mm-hmm. important. Um, but uh, so many folks are saying that um, uh, this was the first time nations updated their plans to limit emissions since the Paris Agreement. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, the United States pulled out of yeah. for and rejoined about four and, years yeah. and rejoined, which doesn't and, n- and, and not a model of consistency. Work, right. What the homework was, okay, all you nations go back, 
redo your plans and come back a year from now and show us your new plans. That was the homework. Yeah. Um, now, generally, countries have agreed to release new plans known as nationally determined contributions. I love the jargon. Uh, every five years, but with current climate commitments falling short, many developing countries advocated for speeding up the schedule, arguing that waiting another five years would mean crucial time is lost. And I absolutely agree with that. The idea that we would wait another five years and say, hey, how's it going? How's everything? Did we knock it back? No, what? It's still rising? Hmm. Oh, I was still looking for our pens to work on them. Didn't see that coming. Wow. Yeah. Um, so speak, speaking of, I'm just looking at the clock here. Do we want to talk a little bit about Bell Bowl Prairie before Jill comes on? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, we can, we can do that. Uh, and, and for, for, uh, the, uh, wrap up, uh, cop 26, you're going to read a lot of stuff. You know what I would uh, do if you get a chance, Peggy, on the chat function here, you should put the, uh, the NPR piece. That's a really, yeah, uh, I, I put that up in a couple of the New York times ones. Okay. It's a good comprehensive piece. Uh, and, and it's probably not behind the paywall like New York Times might be. And we haven't covered all of this uh, by uh, even we haven't we just scratched the surface. There was there's been so much. Oh, but there is one thing, okay, that um, I wanted to show you that I think you'll appreciate. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> so that's my new that's my new drop in. <laughs> When, when I get tired of something, I just say... Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Can I use that on Zoom calls, please? Y- yeah. I'll I'll send this to you. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. There we go. Enough of blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. You're right. We have a blah, couple blah. of minutes before uh, we get to Jill. Um, where do you want to start with this? Uh, you, you sent me something... Um, earlier in the week that um that I then I posted on some of our social media but but go ahead with that I'm not sure which one you posted oh either either one but the, the first one so so <laughs> since we talked last Sunday there were a couple pieces including one from Patty Wetley on WTTW that basically said um you know airports not talking um business as usual we're 65% done oh and by the way we're going to keep expanding. Surprise. Yeah, it was um um it 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 was a remarkable showing by the airport authority at the the Chicago Rockford International Airport. Um basically what has happened is they made an announcement, we're not going to bulldoze now. Okay? We're going to Think about this and get back to you at the beginning of March. Since that, and that was because of a court uh, mm-hmm. filing that. Uh, by the Natural Land Institute. Right. By the and Natural Land uh, Carrie Lee, the executive director, has been on our show several times now. Uh, so they did the court order and, uh, uh, and the airport authority backed off. But now the noises they're making are that, you know, we get to do whatever we want. We're, we're not bulldozing. We're not bulldozing it right now. And by the oh, by the way, uh, all you stewards 
who've been taking care of the prairie for decades now. Yeah. You're now we, we, we don't know why you were because we have no agreement with you. We can't find yeah, any agreement. Out. And even and even if there was an agreement, we now consider it null and void. Is, yeah, so is, go away. So, and so yeah. they've locked out the, the stewards from the prairie um, with the intention, it seems, that they're just going to pave it over uh, come March 1st or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or probably maybe before they're saying possibly before. Um, so the, uh, I know that the, uh, the natural land Institute is holding that court order in its hip pocket, uh, in case they need to trot it out again. But, uh, you know, is, is yeah. the, there's a future talks now of a third, a third runway and all sorts of things. If for anybody, I just put the link up again, save org, and you can link to a lot of information a great place to keep up is the Facebook group. And and, and very quickly, I should have said this right at the start of this, basically Belbo Prairie is a remnant uh, prairie in Illinois. We used to be called the Prairie State. We're still called the Prairie State. But I like saying now we used to be called the Prairie State because we're not really anymore. State formerly known as. For, the state formerly known as the Prairie State. Um, and um, uh, the airport, it's right next to the airport at Rockford. And they said say they need to expand because... If they don't expand, the world will come to an end, um, and uh, and so uh, a number of uh, uh, environmentalists uh, pressured the airport authority, wrote to uh, uh, different politicians and policymakers, uh, and said, mm-hmm. "No, you can't do this. We 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 need to preserve this." Uh, D- uh, Domenico D'Alessandro is a landscape architect. He came up with an alternative plan, said, you know, you really could still do this expansion and save the prairie. Um, and he has written to me, and, and if he's watching right now, I'm getting back to you, uh, Domenico, yeah. uh, because he's written to me about this, and he's very passionate about it. So mm-hmm. next week, we're going to talk about it again. Uh, Amy Dahl, yep. Amy Dahl, director of Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves, is going to be on the show with us and maybe somebody else, but I know for sure she's going to be on the program and she's going to give us an update with what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the whole tie in to cop 26. Uh, people blah, have posted blah, articles, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 you know, other airports are busy planning to put prairies in to help deal with flood control and climate change and, Rockford's yeah. looking to pull theirs out. So uh, we're, we're going to figure out whether the airport is uh, going to... Uh... Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. They're not even saying blah, blah, blah. They're just saying la, la, la. Uh, that's good. We need one. We need a la, 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 la. All right. Absolutely. All right. We need to talk about uh, women in arboriculture or arboriculture, uh, whichever that is. Jill Bondi is standing by. She's next. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Marecki. <laughs> Peggy oh? who? Who? Lur- oh, lur- good. I'll go get more coffee while she's coming in. That's right. And and I'm lurching into the commercial. Here we go. Starting seeds with fluorescence? Let's talk. You've used fluorescent bulbs for as long as you can remember to start your seeds and they work. We get it. Or you look at alternative lights to start seeds and the fluorescents are noticeably less expensive. We get that too. But I'm here to tell you, you and your plants deserve better. It's time to take seed starting to another level. 
Here is why a good quality LED grow light does so much better than those fluorescent bulbs. Your seedlings will get a better start in life with stronger stems and no legginess. Not only will they have stronger stems, they will be stronger overall in order to fight off disease. You can get them in the ground faster because the cycle time for growth can be shortened. You will save money overall because you can grow better quality plants in a shorter amount of time with much less energy than you use with fluorescence. Time to win our hearts all in. Let's let the fun begin. Take a dive, take a dive, take a dive. I see you climbing up. I see you climbing up. I see you climbing up. Spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. We are your doctors. You trust us. You trust us. You trust us. You trust us. You trust us with your life. You trust us with those you love. So trust us when we say, get vaccinated against COVID-19. The vaccines are safe. They are proven to work. You may have wanted to wait. I get it. But don't wait until it's too late. Trust us. Trust us. Trust us. Trust us. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And there she is, Jill Bondi. And, uh, hey, Jill. Uh, I'm here. Good morning. My, my name is easier to say than yours, Peggy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, any name is probably easier if anybody else says it except me. Okay. And uh, one of the things that uh, you should know about uh, Jill, and we mentioned it a little earlier, she is... Uh, um, has been in the green industry for, do I have to, t- I won't even tell you how many years. Okay. Just a say a, a long time. A minute. Yeah. A Chicago minute. <laughs> a Chicago minute. Exactly. <laughs> and you've worked on golf courses, native plant nurseries, field grown nurseries, container grown nurseries, landscaping firms, and tree care companies. Care. <laughs> and, and, and there you are now at uh, Bartlett tree experts. And we work with uh, Jill all the time. Uh, and by the way, I love the line. You say plants are my jam. So, <laughs> they are. They are. That's my neighbors. I'm all about it. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, and uh, she is now the Midwest division administrative coordinator for Bartlett tree experts at one time. You're not now, but at one time you were a certified arborist, right? 
I was for, uh, for gosh, about 12 years. And, um, it was, I'd like to collect degrees and certifications. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you've got five degrees. associate degrees. Yeah. How, how, does, how does one get five associate degrees in horticulture? So I went for two years. I'd gotten a scholarship in high school and I got, uh, two, I went two years and I said, ah, I don't know what I want to do. So I went, started with floral design and I saw them building a, uh, a patio and I'm like, I want to work out there. I want to do that. So then I found out from my counselor that I could take landscape. And then when I got landscape, I was like, I like this. I want to do it all. So then I got turf, grass, greenhouse, um, nursery and landscape and flora. So I got, I went through the entire program. So that's how I, I am, I am a four year plan at a junior college, but I am legit. I have five degrees. <laughs> wow. That's great. Uh, but, but it's obvious you, you love plants. A lot of people uh, who are, are and, and, and if I could hop in too, and sure. a bachelor's in business management, oh, yes. in business management. So I, I can, I can run, I can run a green industry business, I think maybe. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I don't could. know. Scott Scott Jameson is watching because he just chimed in on Facebook. So be careful. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Scott, Scott, be careful. <laughs> hey, Scott, go get a cup of coffee. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, and he notes that you're you're at the uh, the Midwest uh, headquarters here. We can take take a look at that, and that's uh, because there was too much activity going on at home, eh? Oh yes, yeah. Between. Uh, Two dogs, a husband, and a six-year-old. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah. a little too uh, much activity on a Sunday morning, so I couldn't control it. So I said, "I, I better get out of here." <laughs> well, and, you and know, Scott does say you're the best. By the way, he just posted that. So. Ah, he's the best. All right, she gets a ding for that, and Scott gets a ding for that as well. Do you miss it? Do you miss being uh, out in the field like that? Do you get to go out in the field at all? I do actually in my role, um, although I oversee all the administrative assistance, I am heavily involved in production from a safety standpoint. I oversee all of our safety and compliance for our division. So I, I, um, I go out and can go and ride with reps and see crews. So I do get, um, I'm not a hands-on, but because I have experience in the industry, I know what I'm looking at and um, can talk with the crew and ask questions because of my background. So it, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to go out because I know what's happening and I'll ask, well, why are you, you know, why are you felling it this way? And why are, you know, so I can kind of see when they make their notch cuts, why they're doing it. And it's just fascinating work. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, the, and uh, you have that authority. I mean, having that background it, it allows you to know exactly what's going on, which is going to make your administrative work a lot easier, too, I would think. Absolutely. Um, I, I call myself the stopgap because a lot of times there will be things that come through, um, you know, in our division. And we need to keep people safe. Uh, that's first and foremost. So when I see things come through that people are purchasing in the field and I know, like, oh, is this an approved piece of equipment? Um, because I know we have approved equipment based on our safety policy. Um, I will stop, I'll question, I'll call our regional safety manager, I'll involve Scott. So it is pretty neat that I'm not just administrative assistant coordinator. Um, not only do I help our admins run awesome ships, they're phenomenal women 
and men. We actually have some men. We're changing things <laughs> up here at Bartlett. We have male administrative assistants as well. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, and I and I would be remiss if uh, I didn't. Uh, and full disclosure, Bartlett, of course, is the primary sponsor mm-hmm. of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and that gets a ding. Um, and uh, you can go to uh, Bartlett.com. It's that easy. There are four offices in the Chicago area. Uh, let's see, Bolingbrook, Northbrook, Chicago. What's the fourth? Lake Barrington. Lake Barrington. Okay. And uh, and uh, please, uh, and I, I always tell people this um, when we, we talk to the folks from Bartlett on the show. Uh, even if you're listening and you're not in an area that Bartlett serves, um, uh, we, we have a, a listener in Portland and you guys are out there as well. So that's cool. Uh, but I know there are people in different parts of the country uh, where Bartlett uh, is uh, services are not available. I say, if you're going to get tree care, have tree care work done, please hire a certified arborist, please. Um, ISA, ISA, go to the ISA website, International Society of Arboriculture, and find yourself a certified arborist. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to show you something that... Uh, you probably recognize and Peggy and I recognize it because uh, that is the, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the Bartlett uh, facility in North Carolina, the uh, research labs. Uh, and we've been there, walked through those doors right there, but this was in 2018 and it was uh, a, uh, a conference called women in arboriculture, maximizing talent. And uh, were you in this photo? Were you there for this, uh, Jill? I was not. I was fairly new to the organization, so I was just learning my role. Um, Mm -hmm. But they had all kinds of uh, different folks there and uh, did. uh, And when Peggy and I went, we we went on a day long. um, uh, What would you call it? Class, I guess, you know, and seeing the different uh, the processes that are used uh, by arborists, including pruning and cabling, and um, those uh, are our client days, Mike. Yeah, yeah. it was the client so day. We, yeah, we invite our you know our our clients out and uh, just to sort of show them our research lab <clears throat> that we have you know stocked with uh, PhD diagnosticians because what we do is we send out to the lab samples, plant samples, tissue samples for them to help us diagnose and identify. Yeah. Yeah. And now, uh, we, was it? Go ahead. Go ahead I'm sorry. I was going to say, so in 2018, when you had a lot of, um, of the women in the trade from Bartlett there, uh, wasn't that one of the first events ever like that? A women's conference for arboriculture? There was one prior to that. I think they've had, and maybe Scott can chime in on the chat there. I think there have been three, um, but then with COVID and obviously things yeah. changing, um, yeah. we've been on hiatus. But um, And actually, uh, to give us uh, some props here, I think it's actually become a bit unruly based on the number of women we have. <laughs> it's not just 30 anymore. We've got 90 yeah. in the U.S. right now. 90 women. Well, yeah. and, and when we went to the the, the, uh, the client day, we were not allowed to do this. Uh, as you <laughs> see, they didn't let us climb up uh, in the trees. But it, it is kind. Of, it's just very, very cool. Um, I put this uh, also on the blog post. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you can see the safety features, the, the harnesses that are uh, uh, holding up uh, the arborists uh, in, in the trees. Uh, one of the, uh, the excellent uh, photos I like is this one. This is throwing the axe. And if you, oh, yeah. And, and you can see that axe, it's headed straight towards the bullseye. Uh, this, this woman knows what she's doing. Um, so that that's just uh, pretty darn cool. That's the other thing. That's another thing they didn't let us do. They did not hand us, especially me, uh, an axe and, uh, and let me throw it around. But, um, but that, that was a wise move. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, yeah, I, safety but, first, Mike. Safety first. Safety that, above all else. That's right. Above yeah. all else, uh, especially when but, Mike's in the room. Yeah. So you had sent us some amazing numbers, Jill, of just how how many more women, even over the course of one year. I think you said nineteen percent growth in staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that, yeah, and that's the company wide. Um, and that's uh, because we're located internationally. We have the United mm-hmm. States, uh, the UK, Canada, and Ireland. So um, that 19% is company-wide. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, do you think is we're, accounting we're, for that? And I want to say that the 19% is an increase in the number of women in Bartlett in just one year. And that's from mm-hmm. 20, 2020 to yeah. 2021. So it is very... pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And actually in the United States, since 2017, we have increased 300%. We had 30 in the U.S. and now we have 90 female product that's just production positions that doesn't Uh, include positions in uh the sales arborist representative positions it doesn't include um the um local managers that we now have mm -hmm. as female representatives so it's pretty cool so you mean so what's a production position yeah that's what i was going to ask the production position are people that actually in the field and hands-on. So they're the ones climbing the trees, um, uh, inspections, spraying for disease and insects. They're the hand, the boots on the grounds. Um, okay. And then we also have leadership positions. And that's what mm-hmm. uh, the other, you know, s- small fraction of that number consists of is leadership positions such as what? Uh, sales and management. What about the, the lab scientists? There, there are quite a few females there, actually. Um, I don't know the percentage there, but they're high, um, you know, and even our consulting arborists are, are females now. Uh, yeah, it's just there's there's no boundaries, which is pretty, there's no glass ceiling here at Bartlett. We are shooting through that. <laughs> well, that, that's good. It's, uh, I put a, uh, I found a, another article um I found the one about about uh, Bartlett and and their um, women in arboriculture in, in 2018. But there's a f- urban forestry researcher, uh, Adrina C. Bardakian, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. But she did a report the following year on women in the industry, and and she talks about that there's still a little bit of. Um, uh, blowback sometimes from men not a lot she says that that's getting better and better but th- there's still a little bit out there it's still it's still a little bit of a challenge isn't it jill absolutely i mean i believe you know with the the there's you know these microcultures within the green industry and when you look back maybe 
25, 30 years ago, our industry was very highly Hispanic and it's shifting. And so you still have that. And, and, and if we are peeling back the onion and going with Hispanic cultures, women, you know, you're, they're going to keep you safe. So they coddle you and they don't let you do, you know, many things because you belong safe and caring for the children and, and things are changing. So, you know, there is some, you know, pockets, I believe, um, you know, in, in some either positions or within um, certain organizations or even parts of the country that still struggle with that. But um, Bartlett is committed to blow through that and um, empower through it. You know, uh, um, hiring people with um, open minds and that, you know, the women in the workplace, let's just face it, we're detail oriented. We're, we're <laughs> going to be safer yeah. because we don't have the machismo. Uh, so we're going to look out for each other because we're in, you know, most people are female are ingrained mother hens. So it's more like inclusive and um cohesive because it's like, I want to keep everyone safe. I want to keep everyone together. And um, it's just not, you know, there is a flip side to that. When, when you do put females with male crews of them feeling like they have to keep up, but that is, I, I hope is becoming less and less um, Mm -hmm. and more of like an exception versus the rule. Yeah. That's, that was the thing I was going to ask you is what kind of skills that women bring to the table. Uh, and something you and I chatted about the other day, I think listening skills are some, some of what uh, women bring to the deal, uh, when they're out there, because you want to listen to your clients. You don't want to go in and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. The client owns the tree, owns the property. They're the ones who live with uh, the trees that uh, you are caring for. So it is important to have that skill. Yes, we're the experts, but they're the owner, right? We're, we know what's best, but we still need to communicate. So them, you know, communicating, knocking on the door, checking in with the client. Uh, I think that's um, much for, for most women. I mean, obviously we're all unique and special in our sure. own way. Um, yeah. But for most women, I think that, you know, we're, we're more in tune with, you know what, let me check in with Mrs. Jones. Let me, you know, make sure she's good. Let me tell her what I'm going to do, go over the plan. So there's no surprises. So that too, that whole prep work, when you get to a, a job site, you debrief, not only with your crew, but, you know, you ring the doorbell, you see if the client's home, you tell them what you're going to do, you go over the scope of work and the work order, and then, um, you know, make sure that they understand, point things out, this is what we're doing. And then, you know, because I know that we have our Cincinnati office is phenomenal. We actually have 50% of our crew is female. They're women. Hmm. Um, we even have a female in there, a woman, um, arborist representative. So girl power, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a ding. Uh, you got two actually there at that point. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, they'll have all female crews and like the client, like the responses, they just love them. They're just like, you know, uh, Peyton was great. She's our rep and, you know, Louise and the crew and uh, Maria and um, gosh, she's all out there now. Uh, Madison, they're just phenomenal. So it's just really, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool to, to have. Uh, and there's a slight competition of who gets the better photo ops in that office. Because I've seen them climbing <laughs> and taking pictures and there's like women in the tree. And then the men are like, huh. 
And then I get one and it says men in the tree. You know, and, and I don't so do you, go ahead, Peggy. So I was going to say, do you, do you tend to see more women entering the trade just um, out of school or are a lot of people transitioning careers at this point? You know, I would say probably more out of school. So I think it's mm-hmm. these next, these newer, you know, younger generations who are more feeling more empowered at, that there, there aren't any boundaries. This isn't a, you know, yes, it's highly male just because the physicality, but, you know, there's this whole aspect of our industry, plant healthcare, which is critical. That's, that's basically the, the health and welfare of a tree. And it isn't as uh, laborious as, you know, a climber. So a lot of women are getting into that aspect because you have to be able to know your tree. You have to be able to inspect your site. You have to know your bugs. You have to know your diseases. And that is very, um, um, what's the word I want to look smart. <laughs> you need to be smart to do that. Um, and I guess more and analytical, um, a lot of analytical thinking, a lot yes, of analytical brain power versus physical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find, um, that, uh, women mentor other women in the industry? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even see it with our, you know, our team of administrative assistants, even in that level, just we're always here to help. And, you know, uh, society now has made it much easier to communicate with teams and Zoom. So, yeah, I think that uh, that they, they absolutely are um, much more reticent to stop and go, you know, um, or actually much more uh, prone, I'm sorry, to stop and, and say, hey, let me help you with that, which all goes down to safety, you know, and keeping people safe. Yeah. You know, I was, I I was just thinking uh, about the, uh, uh, the pandemic years that we've had here and the, the, the increase in uh, the number of uh, women working for Bartlett. Uh, I think that goes hand in hand with the, what we're seeing in the job, uh, area in general, which is people mm-hmm. quitting their jobs and doing something different. And it makes me wonder if during this time, some of the women said, you know, I've always wanted to be an arborist. Um, and I've, I've always wanted to climb a tree. Um, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow get my- more involved with plants and plant health care. Yeah. 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 Yes. I think in some, um, but I am seeing the biggest trend I'm seeing in a different aspect of people changing careers, but it's more in the industry, the administrative side, not necessarily the production. Many of the production people that I see coming in are, um, you know, several years out of college or, or newly gra- new grads. Uh-huh. So what, what type of background would you need training um, to apply for a position at Bartlett? Well, obviously we would love someone to have any, you know, horticulture background, uh, forestry, arboriculture, but Bartlett has a, you really just have a passion for outdoors and plants and being outside. We have a phenomenal training program that ties right into our safety program. So they go hand in hand. So we, we, we would, if, if somebody, if I had zero background and I came to an office and said, you know what, I want to, I want to work outside. You know, they obviously vet and interview me and make Mm -hmm. sure like 
I'm not soft and not going to cry and run home the first day like today, <laughs> <laughs> which honestly, nowadays I probably would. Uh-huh. Um, but hey, <laughs> I served my time. Yeah, I was a brown you're... neck for many years, farmer tan on the, on the neck. Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah so, you might, um, you r- might run home crying from this interview, but other than that, that, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, probably, if you can pass uh, the Mike Novak show test. There you that's go. That's right. You're you're good to go. <laughs> I'm gonna cry from Scott on Monday. <laughs> nah, <laughs> I I don't think so. I don't think so. So how long? But, but it- it's a very thorough training program. Is it? Uh, do you have like? Is it an apprenticeship program and then into the position, or how does it work? So you start off at at there's there's two sort of facets of our production staff. There is we call it tree and shrub work, which are if you equate this to like um, getting your hair cut, it's the trim, it's the finesse, it's the pruning, it's the removal, so the shaving. Uh, of course, I have to have a hair reference in this uh, interview. Um, <laughs> and then, then it's the plant health care, which is the health of it, the you know um, the um, disease and insect management. So you you sort of have to pick what side that you want to go into. However, us being in the lovely Midwest, those that choose the plant healthcare will actually flip over to the tree and shrub crew, the production crew in the winter. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you, you pick it and then you basically start, we start you with, um, they're called competencies. Uh, we have, um, uh, phase one, phase two, phase three, uh, different competencies that you have to go from like a production, the TSW, I'm sorry for my acronyms, my Bartlett jargon, uh, tree and shrub uh, crews, they start with a ground person and you have to, it's like a two page checklist that I I have to prove n- my knowledge and, te- and uh, demonstrate my knowledge and ability in all of these different facets. And then I'm signed off by my mentor or my trainer. Mm-hmm. So that usually takes a couple months. Then we move into then a crew leader position or a climber position. I'm sorry, climber is phase two. Uh, so now I want to climb. So I learned all my different knots. I learned all of the tie-in points. I learned, um, you know, all the different like things about the structure, about cuts, about, you know, moving, navigating through. And that one's a little longer because that one's, a, I think about three pages long. And again, all throughout the process, you're you're tested, and you have to prove your competency in this particular. There's lines, you know. There's like yeah. 90 lines that every single one that needs to be checked off and demonstrated. Mm-hmm. And then you move into fa- the phase three, which is a crew leader that says, "I can do you know phase one and two, and now I also can lead people, and I can direct people, and I could manage a job site and manage a team." Wow. And we have many many uh in our company many uh women that do that well and uh, and what uh, you're highlighting here also is uh, the safety factor uh safety above all else is uh is kind of uh where uh, bartlett uh begins and ends yeah. this is and uh, ends, yeah. and ends right begins and ends all right before we go uh my my one question why do people volcano mulch come on jill maybe do you have an answer to that please <laughs> I think they do it to keep us in business, which <laughs> I'm so grateful for. Um, not, not. Um, I've seen actually, have you seen um, volcano snow? Oh, I no. have literally seen, you have to check out in um, uh, 
like strip malls and malls, they'll pile the snow oh, yeah. around the trees. The and then there's yeah. this little tuft of branches. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, we, uh, when we had ski- plowing, yes. Yeah, when we had skied on, uh, uh, I don't know, a while ago, a number of months ago, uh, last time, I think last winter, uh, he showed us uh, photos of uh, some arborvitaes where the snow had been plowed right up into. I mean, those poor plants uh, are are not are are not going to look good in the spring uh, after uh, having gone through that. Yeah, tell people, um, uh, and and I know your women don't do it. I know your men don't do it. Nobody at Bartlett Volcano mulches, but folks, don't do that. Don't pile up your mulch against the tree. All right. No. Uh, Jill, this was fant- fantastic. Can I give Jill, a, Jill a comment from Carrie? Oh, she sure. Says, wow, Jill. Wow, Jill. Thank you for being such an amazing example of talented women in the green industry. Thank you, Carrie. There we go. See, you're you're going to start your own fan club here now. Uh, so uh, we appreciate. You mean grow it. You mean grow it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes, it's all. It's yes, it's all about growing. That's that's what we're t- we're talking about here. Jill Bondi from Bartlett Tree Experts. Thank you so much again. You can go to Bartlett.com. Um, they're not only a national company in America, but international in several other countries and. Um, a, continuing to offer opportunities to women in arboriculture. We're hiring. Or, uh, do you pronounce it arboriculture or arboriculture? You know, I'm from Chicago, so I call it arboriculture. Arboriculture. I like that even better. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Arboriculture. I don't, I don't, yeah, you know. No, that's fine. Uh, no, that, that's very Chicago. I appreciate it. Jill, yeah, right? yeah. thank you so yeah. much. You get to go We're home. We're hiring women and men. Oh. We have lots of opportunity. Okay. Yeah, folks, if you have ever Bartlett.com. Bartlett.com. Go to our website. We're hiring for all positions. Start at the bottom, start at the top, except (laughs) for Scott's role. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Scott starts at the top and then then he he works his way to the bottom. Okay. Uh, Everybody, Uh thank you. Uh-oh. Am I in trouble now? Uh, Thanks, Jill. (laughs) I am. Uh, you're, yeah, okay. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Hey, I'll go home and, and be with all the madness uh, at your house. Yes. Uh, all Thank right. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the time. We enjoyed Thanks, it. Jill. Uh, Thanks, Jill. It's the Mike Bye. Novak Show. With, okay. Um, I'll get this out yet. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. <laughs> and we will be right back. My name is Megan Kosensky, and I'm a plant health care specialist and a grounds person at Bartlett Tree Experts. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every day that I go to work, I find something new that I love about what I do. Every tree needs a champion. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. 
What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serrates. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. It's uh, the, the delay sometimes makes it hard getting out of a segment when you're when you're saying your goodbyes. But now we're just saying hello to uh, our next guest, Scott DeFi from the Glass Recycling Foundation. He's president of the Glass Recycling Foundation, also president of the Glass Packaging Institute, or GPI, as it is sometimes known. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peggy. Don't you don't you love he's got the the headset and the nice little microphone there too. It's like you've you've done this before. You've uh, obviously uh, get on a call or two yourself. Uh, you know, with COVID the past year and a half to 2 years, it's been an endless stream of webinars and um uh you know, a lot of voice over, you know, voice calls and things like that. Even We've been able to actually to testify in state legislatures around the country, you know, using this technology that would have been really difficult to to travel yeah. to in the past. So there's some some benefits to it. But, yeah, no, um, a lot of folks uh, have told me I, I have a face for radio and yeah. I decided to lean in on that and get a good headset. <laughs> at, at the, the, the old jokes are the best. OK. And uh, and that the face for radio is is among the oldest uh, mm-hmm. in, yes. in the world. Uh, and, and should I, I couldn't help myself? Yeah. Well, I can't help myself either. So I'll just pop this in. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. There we go. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's great to have you here, Scott. Uh, I met Scott. Uh, I watched him actually. We, we didn't, we, we kind of met there, um, uh, at the annual meeting for the Illinois Recycling Foundation, full disclosure, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a board member. Um, and you were receiving, the 2021 Private Sector Recycling Program Award from the IRF. And you've got it behind you, I, I, I believe. Yeah, there. Um, Wait a yeah, second. Right, Let me right get the uh, left shoulder. Hold on. We'll I get the, can, the wide shot up there. and we'll see it. There it is. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. I was, that was a big surprise, but I was honored. Um, yeah, they keep those things uh, secret and, until uh, the folks show up and then they, they sucker punch them. Uh, with that. And of course, you still have the Halloween lights up, uh, which we appreciate. I, I do. Uh, my alma mater is the University of Texas. We had a, a rough night last night, but um, I try to use that whole September, October time to to get all my orange you know, out <laughs> as much as possible. Get it out of your system. Yeah. That's right. And at some yeah. point, do, do you make that transition to either the white lights or the multicolored lights for the holidays? Yeah, this this Zoom headquarters uh, situation will move into the holiday uh, spirit after Thanksgiving. All right, fantastic. The 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 winter holidays, yes. Uh, yes. But uh, you received uh, the award from the IRF for for uh, I was it for the uh, don't trash glass um, program in Chicago. Uh, so yep. l- let's start there. Uh, that was with your, sure. uh, and, and let's explain, uh, first of all, the difference between the Glass Packaging Institute and the Glass Recycling Foundation. I have you identified as being from the Glass Recycling Foundation. I could have put either one up there because you're president of both uh, of uh, b- both uh, programs, um, uh, organizations is the word I was looking for. So tell us about, um, uh, don't, uh, about your organizations, and then we'll go into Don't Trash sure. Glass. 
Sure. Uh, thanks. I answer to both. Uh, you know, all the hats that I can that I can wear on a given uh, you know a given day. Um, the Glass Packaging Institute is the trade association for North American glass container manufacturers and their supply chain. So all of the raw material inputs, the and then everything that goes on the bottle after it's used, um, caps, closures, labels, decorations, things of that nature. And the entire uh, glass recycling system is, can all be members of the Glass Packaging Institute. So that's a, a trade association. We represent the interests of glass um, you know, across the country in states, local government uh, advocacy, and at the federal government level as well. Um, the Glass Recycling Foundation is an offshoot of another organization called the Glass Recycling Coalition. Um, so GPI, just container glass. We make the bottles, right? Um, and the glass recycling, you know, elements that go into that. The Glass Recycling Coalition was created several years ago uh, to pull together all the different users of recycled glass. So that would include the fiberglass industry, other aggregates, and other uses for recycled glass plus some brand companies that um, are interested in using more recycled glass, right? So they're heavily invested in, in glass. And then a couple of years ago, uh, due to a need to reinvigorate glass recycling programs across the country, the GRC and the GPI helped, and all of the GRC members helped form the Glass Recycling Foundation, which is a 501c3, uh, and is now starting to raise money and make grants uh, across the country to start pilot programs or to help reinvigorate glass recycling in communities across the country. Okay. Um, I'm sure that will be perfectly clear. We're having a quiz about all the organizations <laughs> at the end of this half hour. So everybody get your blue books out. We're going to be we're doing this. Or maybe we should just make it multiple choice. Uh, we can do that as well. Uh, so tell us about Don't Trash Glass. That was what caught my attention um, at the uh, at the annual meeting and what you were doing in Chicago. Yeah. So uh, last year, the the GPI, we had put forth a study to figure out how to get more increase national glass recycling rates across the country um, in a per, in an effort to get more recycled glass back to container plants. The industry would like to increase glass recycling generally to over 50 percent. There's a new national EPA goal for all material recycling to hit 50% in, over the course of the next decade. And uh, the glass industry was working to figure out how can we get that done. And then secondly, for glass containers, if we want to get our average recycled content over 50%, we need to figure out how to get that glass to the plants. Mm -hmm. um, and so we released a study that had several findings, gaps in the glass recycling system, and identified commercial bar and restaurant glass recovery as a significant opportunity to increase incremental tons of glass that are coming into the pipeline uh, and divert away from landfills. Can I stop um, you? Can I stop can you? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, Peggy right was talking. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. Peggy was mentioning this uh, at the beginning of the show um, and that a lot of people might not be aware because people go into a bar, they go into a restaurant, they assume that all that glass is Absolutely being recycled, 100%. That is not necessarily the case, is it? Not necessarily the case. Um, a good portion of commercial uh, recycling and waste management is regulated differently at the local level than residential. 
And so you can't always count on the same level of service in a commercial setting as you can in the residential setting. And often, um, if you think about the, the kinds of materials that will come out of a, you know, a retail setting, you know, some retailers are heavy on cardboard. Some retailers are heavy on different types of material. Bars and restaurants are going to be heavier on glass and food service ware, right? So if the glass and the cardboard are, you know, ending up in the commingled stream together, it's not entirely uh, a guarantee that that glass is going to be making it into the, the glass recycling system and it may be ending up in a landfill. Yeah. In fact, let me show you some numbers that your organization has put together. You'll be familiar with this uh, glass recycling by the numbers. Uh, 10 million metric tons of glass is disposed of every year in the U.S. Now, does that include recycled and not recycled, or is that just uh, what ends up in a landfill? Um, that number was is a couple years old and is is for all of the the glass that was going through the economy at the time. That was the estimate of the material that was ending up um, stream. Right, and um, thirty three percent of waste glass gets recycled. I saw a number that I I put a link to EPA, uh, and I'm not sure. I think it was 2018. They were saying something like thirty one point three percent or something. So. Of- uh, of so, all yeah, the glass, thirty-one point three percent is yeah what you have up on the blog, um, right? And uh, glass beverage containers uh, are higher uh, than food jars. Um, beverage containers, because of the deposit programs across the country, mm-hmm. beverage container recycling is closer to thirty-nine percent. Um, but yeah, no, these numbers fluctuate. It's been hovering in the low thirties for most of the past decade. Uh, yeah, which. We and we can we can do better. So here here are some more. Yeah, as, as you also wrote, twenty eight million glass bottles and jars ending up in landfills each year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot, and ninety um, uh, percent of disposed glass gets recycled in several European nations on average. And this graphic is to just show that we could do better because uh, uh, other countries do better. Um, yeah. Uh, like in Europe and 40% of glass thrown into single stream recycling collections actually gets recycled. See now that that's a number that's going to surprise a lot of people because they assume, and and again, uh, something that I said to you the other day when we were chatting, Scott is single stream Uh, best thing that ever happened to recycling or worst thing that ever happened to recycling. Well, if you're only getting 40% of the glass recycled that's being thrown in there, that's a problem, isn't it? It yeah. is. Um, and, and can we define you know, for our listeners yeah, what sure. single stream is, please? S- single stream recycling is uh, where you have one cart for recycling, um, and all of your recyclables go in the one cart. That doesn't mean that's the trash, the trash cart, right. but one the recycling, recycling cart. cart. Right, one usually, re- usually a blue cart, cart okay? In usually. Chicago, yeah, usually. But it, you know, you know, we should make that standard. I mean, you talk about it, standardizing. Uh, that would be a... it. Yeah, it is a it is an issue. There are certainly questions about um, standardizing so that consumers and residents, you know, as they move or even just go one county or subdivision over, you know, often um, in one area, the recycling rules may change considerably just by going over a county line yeah. or a city line. All right, and and so looking at the forty percent, 
in single stream that gets recycled. Uh, we, we can certainly do better than that. Look at this. 90% of glass put into multi-stream collection gets recycled. And by multi-stream, we're talking about what we used to do in the old days, which is at the curbside. You had the bin for glass. You had the bin for paper. You had the bin for cans. Uh, and uh, that turned into single stream because, let's face it, single stream is cheaper. It's, uh, it's quicker. Uh, but it's not as efficient, is it? No, the yield from multi-stream is considerably higher. Um, it's, it has to do with quality, right? And, and that's the, the, the primary issue uh, that we could address with single stream recycling is the quality of the commodities that come through at the end of the process. Um, you know, the system was put in place, I believe, largely for convenience uh, and to cut down the number of trucks that might be going through particular neighborhoods, right? Right. Um, but it's only going to be as good as the facility that the material ends up going to. And if the facility that the material ends up going to can do well, then that glass, you know, has a great yeah. future. If, yeah. the, if the facility doesn't have the right equipment, or if the economics of the landfill um, are more favorable uh, for landfilling, then a lot of times the waste management company has an incentive to landfill heavier material because they get paid by weight one way or the other. Mm -hmm. and, and Marta Keene, also with the Illinois Recycling Association, just posted um, the 40% of glass placed in single stream program is related to the MRF or the sorting facility investing in the equipment to recover the glass. Yes, right. Thank you, but, Marta. But, yep. uh, and that's kind of what Scott was saying here. Yeah. And uh, But it's also, isn't it also about what else ends up in a recycling container? I mean, it's it's not just the recovery of it. It's what goes into it. What are people putting in to their containers? And are they... Are they creating a situation where glass is going to become a contaminant? Oh, sure. Um, well, I, oh, sure on what it, it uh, I'll, I'll agree completely on what else is going into the container, right? Um, you know, in the, in the glass world, we don't like to think of glass as a contaminant at all. And I think it's wrong to suggest that one completely recyclable material is a contaminant of another in a recycling stream. Um, because if we could clean up the streams in a properly functioning MRF, all of the recyclable materials that go into the recycling cart would come out, right? Now, absolutely, there are um, uh, folks who aren't necessarily following the recycling, you know, guidance or wish cycling, thinking that certain things should be recycled or could be recycled when they aren't. Or, like we were talking about a minute ago, there is some confusion from jurisdiction to jurisdiction about what can go in the cart and what can't, yeah. right? Right. Um, and so inbound contamination is certainly an issue. Um, you would like to think, however, that if the local jurisdiction suggests that glass go in the recycling cart, that we can find a way to get it to the supply chain back into the, the recycled glass supply chain. And it should. And if it isn't, it's really a function of what's going on at the MRF. All right, and back real quick, and we're, we're is this, and I and I apologize for the secure this route that we're, we're on here, but um, I wanted to get back to the five percent of carbon dioxide emissions are cut, are reduced for every ten percent of glass making mix substituted with cullet. Now, 
you have to explain what cullet is. What cullet is yeah. and how it's made, yeah. So, so cullet is really just the word that in the glass industry uses for furnace-ready recycled material, right? It's been cleaned up and meets a specification to go back into a furnace, right? So uh, the furnace is the heart of the, the glass plant. Um, fiberglass plants also use furnaces to make fiberglass. Uh, and so you have to be really careful about what you put into the furnace. Glass is a molten material and mixing the raw materials once uh, is not just heating it up, but there's a chemical reaction that converts it to glass. Once you've converted the raw material into glass, it has a lower melting point if you put it back into the furnace because it's already glass. And so by using recycled glass in making new glass, you can lower the temperature of the furnace and lower the carbon emissions um, as well. In addition, um, the supply chain for the raw materials is often you know, longer, not always, but often longer uh, than recovering local recycled glass. And so you're cutting down some uh, transportation by using uh, recycled glass from the region as well. So all of that explained now, that gets us back to the Don't Trash Glass yes. uh, a program that uh, you rolled out in uh, a couple of states, and, and Chicago was, was uh, uh, one of the areas that you rolled it out. So let's get back to that. Sure. Uh, so coming out of the study, we had identified commercial bar and restaurant glass collection as a significant source of potential glass that was often going straight to landfill rather than getting back into the glass recovery chain. And so we had uh, been working with uh, a, a partner company, Glass King uh, in Arizona, which has a, a program going in the greater Phoenix metropolitan area that we're helping to expand. Uh, that was designed around bar and restaurant glass collection. Um, and with the support of Constellation Brands and Corona, uh, in particular this past spring in Chicago, they wanted to bring bar and restaurant collection to the greater Chicagoland area. So we partnered with Glass King to see if we could um, create a new uh, Don't Trash Glass program in the Chicago area over the summer. Um, and so Glass King brought resources and, and uh, equipment assets up to Chicago, and we partnered with Strategic Materials, uh, which is a local glass, which is a glass processor that has local um, uh, facilities in the Chicago area, and Lakeshore Recycling Systems to bunker the glass um, at, a at their transfer station um, in, in the southwest part of uh, the area. And you also uh, had uh, the uh, a glass crusher uh, involved in this, uh, right? Oh yes, the Corona the Corona program uh, wanted to, so what it was a multi-phase different uh, program. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot lot of moving parts to this. Yeah. Yes, there there were several things going on. Um, it was so first of all we were trying to help bars and restaurants out with their waste management systems, and you know in the pandemic on-premise uh, on premise businesses, uh, you know, we're struggling, right, with, um, you know, getting um, uh, customers back in, back in. And Corona brands, uh, Corona and Constellation brands wanted to help uh, a lot of their bars and restaurant customers in the greater Chicago area, and they wanted to sponsor free glass recycling for uh, these commercial accounts uh, throughout the summer. 
And so they made it available for us to bring the equipment in and to start to service, uh, you know, a couple dozen bars and restaurants throughout the throughout the summer. Corona built their own crushing machine as a as an in, a consumer engagement tool, mm-hmm. and Corona Brands had a education. national. Um, yeah, a lot of education. Uh, they brought the the machine out to some patio parties and had some consumer engagement where uh, customers could recycle the Corona bottles in the crusher and turn that material into a ground a ground up material that then made it back into a glass plant, um, an Owen, Owens, Illinois glass plant in uh, in Indiana, uh, uh-huh. and so that was going on to you know, to help the bars and restaurants and to bring awareness to the program that was going mm-hmm. on every weekend through the summer. And then the Don't Trash Glass program, we would f- come behind that with permanent glass recycling, all the glass, not just the Corona bottles, but all the glass that would come out of a bar or a restaurant uh, could go in our glass container bins and then get recycled uh, in a separate stream uh, to the strategic materials facility, uh, the RMC facility down in Chicago Ridge and make it back into the glass supply chain. Uh, and But I am, I am such a sucker for that kind of thing. You know, if they're trying to get people interested in it, I would go, yeah, I want to see you crush glass. That sounds pretty cool, you know, and I, yeah. I, I can see why that would work. Um, you also, uh, you sent me a list of some of the, uh, uh, the uh, establishments that were involved in this, including Palmer Place, Firewater Saloon, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Nice Lounge? Do you know? Nice Lounge? I think it's Nisi? a venerated uh, Wrigley Park uh, yeah. uh, bar. Socia how clueless yeah. I am. Okay. Uh, at the, city and suburban locations. Okay. Yeah. Um, at the office, uh, Edison Park Inn, Bar Louis, uh, Cafe Michelle, Michelle Whispers, Deuces and Casey Morans, Morans uh, Mars Bar, Oak uh, Forest Bowl, two locations. Uh, Bartini, Yaxi, Circle Inn, uh, American Tap, um, yep. uh, and Los Islas Cantina as well. So yes, and and uh, I'm going to give quite just a little uh, a little uh, extra mark to Los Islas. I think they were our highest per capita volume um, participant over the course of the summer. I mean, every week, every week Los Islas was definitely having a full container. All right. Many of them did fantastic all summer, but Los Islas, you know, for its size, was really generating a lot of glass. Yeah. So, do you expect this to continue now? These uh, these establishments, the collections continue for the people who are participating, and we're working feverishly to convert this to a permanent program. Uh, trying to get the details knocked out here before winter sets in, uh, and we're in conversations with Lakeshore Strategic Materials, and uh, may have another. Um, a uh, new sponsor coming soon. Oh, <laughs> so, great. Okay. Uh, we're not, not quite ready, but, uh, you know, stay tuned, and hopefully we'll be able to announce a, a, another sponsor that's going to help us convert the program to a permanent program uh, in the greater Chicago area. All right. So we only have a few minutes left, which gets us to the point I would like to have explained, if possible. If, if, sure. if working with glass is so productive, productive uh, as you say and other people say, 100% recyclable, infinitely recyclable. Why is it 
that there are, you know, and depends where you go. Well, you do, yeah. I, I was Googling different sites on it, and some people say, well, you know, uh, it, it, it's it weighs too much, and it's contaminant, and blah, blah. And, the municipalities uh, have no recycling of glass. Right. Yeah. And, and so why why is it with such an uh, infinitely recyclable product, you're having a hard time making that known and getting more glass recycled in the United States? Yeah, I would I would say, um, and this is with my glass packaging institute hat on. Um, you know, the GRF is a C three, so we just we try to you know promote glass recycling. It with GPI, I can talk more about the policy. So, um, I'm you know largely it is related to the infrastructure in this country um, for recycling. Uh, it is single stream um, is can be very efficient, um, but you know it starts at the curb. And if you, you know, are putting all of the different recyclables into one truck, smashing it with a hydraulic press and then taking it to another facility to unsmash it and then try to sort it out, um, material quality makes a huge difference. And in a typical single stream uh, material recovery facility, glass is a what we call negative sort. It's the last thing before you get to the pile of the residual contamination that's going to head to landfill. A lot of the other materials, aluminum, plastic, cardboard, things of that nature are taken out in a positive sort. That means somebody, there's a machine or Mm -hmm. something at the MRF going in, trying to grab that and pull it out of the stream, right? There's equipment that should be in every MRF, uh, in our opinion, but is not in every MRF. Um, Optical equipment for glass? Well, optical equipment for glass is usually at the secondary processor or at a place like Strategic Materials where they're going to use the opticals to sort the color, right? Some really basic glass breakers, filtration screens, trommels to separate the light shredded paper from the glass. So you have to think about if you go to a MRF and you tour one of these and you see the different um, bales, of, you know, clean, you know, recyclable aluminum or PET mm-hmm. or other material or cardboard, then you're going to f- eventually find the glass pile. And the glass pile is often only 50% glass um, and half of the weight and the volume can be dirt, um, bottle caps, pens, Barbie dolls, you know, different things like that, that make it through the recycling mm-hmm. system but end up in the in the pile of glass, then it's really a question of is there an additional cleaning process at the MRF that's going to take out all of the light material and convert that 50 to 60 percent pile of glass to a 80 to 90 percent pile of glass. And then the economics of moving that glass make more sense uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of uh, local jurisdictions, especially if you've got um, adequate processing facilities nearby um another i can stop there for a second but there's a second there's a second leg to this well uh, we don't have a whole lot of time here so do it as quickly as possible yeah i'll do it super quick the economics of the system where each local government is responsible for moving their own material rather than aggregating into a solid waste district or using economies of scale in a metropolitan area is is another part of it. So the contracts that each community, local government, sub you know, sub jurisdiction of counties and metropolitan areas, they're each negotiating 
with uh, a hauler to do different things in different places and to move the material. And really, it would work better from an economic scale if there was more uh, cooperation and regional uh, waste management systems being put into place. This might be too simplistic uh, a question, but as a glass recycler, and I noticed that you came over from the plastics industry. Um, I in, did. And so I, 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 we don't even have time to go into the, the, the comparison here. Uh, but as a glass recycler now, um, would you add be advocating for multi-stream uh, collection of glass, or do you think uh, single stream can work? Um, single stream can work if the companies are going to make the investments in the equipment. Our current posture is we would love to see uh, single stream systems do better with better glass equipment in there. But the second part of that is if they're not going to, Mike, then absolutely, you know, we should separate the streams. Right. Okay. So it, because the yield is so much better and all of uh, that separate glass can get back to. We're get, talking about 40 percent versus 90 percent. All right. That's yeah, a absolutely. huge difference. Uh, and yeah. we need to do a quick shout out to Strategic Materials, Inc., uh, because uh, the Chicago Recycling Coalition uh, said, we hope you're going to mention. Uh, and, and, and how do they play into this? So Strategic Materials is a glass processor. They take their. You can think of them in the waste management system almost like a secondary MRF, but they take the glass, clean it up, and prepare it to make it into cullet. Oh, okay. And cullet, as we know, as we 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 learned early on, is a a vital part of uh, uh, reproducing glass, recycling it, um, making it, closing that loop, that infinite loop that we're told yes uh, can happen with glass. Yeah. Uh, Scott, we got to do this again. I mean, um, sure. I, st I still have a dozen questions to ask you, but uh, uh, you're very good, and we, we appreciate, and I hope this has cleared this up. The point is, recycle your glass, okay? Do not, the first place to start is don't throw it in the garbage. Don't, right. don't let it go to a landfill. That's a lot of weight going to a landfill, um, and it takes a million years for glass to break down. That's one of the places one of the places I looked at said a million years and it kind of made it took my breath away. Um which is even more than uh expanded polystyrene, you know, or styrofoam as some people call it. Uh so make sure it gets recycled and uh we'll have you back and we'll talk some more about uh about glass recycling but congratulations on your award and um Thank you. And I'm hoping that those uh, institutions that you worked with in uh, Chicago, the bars and restaurants, continue to recycle their glass because it is important. No, they're anxious to keep going, and thanks for having me. All right, fantastic. Thanks, uh, it's the Mike Thank Novak you. Show with Peggy Malecki. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. And now for something completely different. Oh, holy night. Do, 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 Late December, do, 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 back in 1 BC. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Silent night. 
as we shout it out with glee. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history. You'll go down in history. They loved him, yeah, yeah, yeah. They loved him, yeah, yeah, yeah. They loved him, yeah, 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 yeah. And welcome back to the, yes, Peggy. And you just did the Frozen Robins first gig of the season last yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. Their first gig of the season in Evanston, Rick. We mm-hmm. uh, we were on Central Avenue lighting the uh, tree, um, and uh, Santa was there. And uh, Santa's a good guy. I was I was chatting to him. Central and where? Um, um, Independence Park. So it's on the uh, just uh, west of uh, Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, I know where that is. There's yeah, the um, the Great Harvest Great Harvest Bread Company is right. Here. Yep, yep. A oh bunch, yeah, okay. A bunch of great shops there. Lots of really nice yep. people. We were caroling for all the folks in the shops and everything, and then had a tree lighting uh, so, so, ceremony. So there's uh, just a few spots left. So book your gigs now with the frozen robins. Right. Thank you. I'm going to hire you to be my manager, Peggy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, uh, going back to our last segment about glass recycling, I don't know if you caught any of that, Rick, but it's just really fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. The um, Illinois Recycling Foundation, Marta, uh, wrote, uh, she is the um, president. Uh, she says, IRF is excited by the free program being offered for glass certification to a MRF uh, to ensure sorting of glass from other materials from the mixed stream to improve recovery, cities should require bidders of their service contracts to have this certification. So contact the IRF if you want to know more about that. I mean, we should be recycling more glass. I, I kind of don't understand it. And uh, we need a bottle bill in Illinois, by the way, too. So, but uh, don't get me started on that. That's why, they had the, that's why they had the climate conference in Glasgow. Or Glasgow, right? Glasgow, right. I, I, read, I read one of those stories, and it was very funny the way they, they wrote it out, glass right. hyphen C-O-W, Glasgow. Yeah. And I bet every time yeah. somebody there, some American says, Glasgow, uh, somebody in in, uh, 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 in, in Scotland. Northern Luke, Scotland, uh, it, it, Glasgow. Yeah, <laughs> and anytime they hear Glasgow, uh, a northern Scottish person loses their wings. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, here you are. You're not even at a hotel today. Um, no, I'm in my um, I'm in my home here uh, with Jazz, as, as you can see behind me. Is where he? There he is. Up oh, there he is. Wow, he looks so excited this morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, he's a bit pooped. We went for a pretty decent walk along the lakefront yesterday, right by um, uh, Ellenwood. Lane, that's uh, that area right uh, about three blocks north of Lake Avenue um, in Wilmette, okay. and it's one of my favorite places. Do you, you know that what I'm talking about there, Peg? She's looking um, up. She's not sure. Yeah, that's yeah, where the that's where it, um, it's not the women's club. I'm trying to think what the big building is down there. Yeah, it, it's right north of uh, Michigan Shores. Um, yeah, Michigan Shores. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a beautiful uh, area that people, the locals, have um, basically reclaimed and rebuilt, and it's absolutely beautiful. You can park in the street, take your dog for a walk down to the dunes there, 
and then go north or south along the beach. So south is Gilson Park, uh, and north mm-hmm. are some big, rich homes that um, I think one person got pretty annoyed and extended their uh, rocky <laughs> rocky partition all the way down to the beach so you can't get around there anymore, which I get. I totally get. Uh, but it is, it is quite beautiful, and uh, we're able to enjoy it before the – wet snow came in but as you can see we didn't get much which is fine with me it's still a little bit early for that but still amazing how many trees are on the leaves remember last week we were talking it was 65 degrees um and when i left you guys at about 11 o'clock um rebecca and i said we were driving up to the morton arboretum and as we pulled up there were about 150 cars in line, all with the same thought. And we said, yep. probably not going into the Morton Arboretum today. Because oh, that was the last chance to go uh, and, and enjoy not only the fall foliage, but sunshine in 65. Although it was just as nice on Monday, um, most people don't have Monday off. Right. And uh, although we, we may get a 50 this week, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But you sent me a photo that I just think is two. 250s. Okay, good. Um, uh, uh, this photo to me is hilarious. Um, it's the oh, National, yeah. <laughs> National Weather Service uh, watching the first snow. And it's it's just the, the idea that weather guys are going, hey, look, it's snowing. <laughs> it, it, never, it never gets old. I mean, yeah, this was, uh, um, I don't know who, I think I know two of the people there, but they've had um, a lot of new people uh, come into that office recently. And uh, this is pretty much right down the uh, driveway from where I teach at Lewis University because Lewis and National Weather Service are on the same property there. Uh, And, yeah, there was some pretty decent snow showers that came through on Friday. And I think what was really most important to note is that the visibility at the weather service at that time was down to a quarter of a mile. So even if it was the 32nd snow of the season, when you could look outside – visibility go down to a quarter of a mile uh that's pretty impressive it, it always allows people uh a, a little bit of enjoyment to see how much um a little bit of water vapor being lifted into an atmosphere below 32 degrees uh can have on the environment and it covered the ground they got about a half inch there i think it was four tenths uh and then within about you know 10 or 15 minutes most of it melted uh but it's typical for this time of the year right around the 15th to 16th of november to get that first, what we call measurable snow. The first trace is generally right around the end of October. And the first inch is about the first week of December. Uh, we'll still see maybe a little bit of scattered snow showers come through here this afternoon. Obviously it's not going to stick. The ground is wet. And then they, maybe another little flurry or two tomorrow before uh, it warms up. So we were just kind of like leading into that a couple of days of 50 degrees, without a doubt, Tuesday. And now it looks like Wednesday um, as well. So, again, this time of the year, you get a lot of these ups and downs, and it looks like that's going to be the pattern for the next three weeks as the the overall jet stream has become very, very strong from the West and very, very progressive as well. And this usually leads to, you know, wet conditions in the Pacific Northwest and every once in a while a big mid-latitude cyclone in the Great Lakes. So, um it's beginning to look a lot like La Nina. Ah, it's beginning to look a lot like La Nina. I'm going to see if I can make that uh, work wow, uh, for wow. the Carol. Uh, by the way, um, uh, Alexandra. You were impressed by that Murray pig, right? Did you see, Mike, did you see the look of elation on Peg's face and my face at the same time? Uh, yeah, I know. It was like, oh, my God, make him stop. Um, <laughs> That's all right. 
um, it's okay to be. I do yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Alexandra wrote, uh, I got ticketed at Gibson because no Wilmette sticker. Streets also restricted. Where are you parking? That's what she wants to know. Uh, I, I think that was the, the place you were hiking. Well, you just walk over there, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you, you have to park. I, I, I got to drive there. Oh, okay. But there, you got to be careful because if you park um, on the street that leads into um, the wildlife area, you will get ticketed. You got to park up and down the street um, and you got to be mindful of the signs. And part of the reason is because there's two large homes on either side of the end of that block. I don't think anybody mm -hmm. wants someone parking like literally right next to their driveway. And I yeah. think that's one of the reasons why there's no parking there. And that's probably the reason why they got, <clears throat> they got the ticket. But the main part of the street, the ones that runs north south, um, you have to kind of know when to go. If you go there during, obviously in the middle of the day, there may be some cars parking, but the bottom line is it's a, uh, it's a beautiful area and they've done some really nice restoration to it. So um, it's nice when people reclaim, you know, beach dunes and bring back nature. And, mm -hmm. and I, that's why I like to talk about it. Actually, even along the shore in, uh, uh, in, in Chicago, uh, up in Rogers park where you used to live, Rick, there's been a lot of restoration, a lot of, oh, uh, just wonderful stuff. Some uh, uh, areas where they've naturalized the areas and there's dunes and the plants they yep. put in there are just wonderful. So um, it's, yeah, that, it's a, that whole area, I think it's called Leone beach right there on the end of Tui. They've completely uh, reestablished the uh, American quote beach grass that they call it. Yeah. And that goes all the way down to almost Loyola Avenue, uh, which was needed because a few years ago, when we weren't getting the ice and the, and the waves were coming up in that area, the beach was getting washed away. Yeah. Um, and that particular area, the beach, the sand isn't very nice. It's very coarse. So when it would get mm -hmm. washed away, you'd be left with rocks and then no one would use the beach. So I think this was one way where they're trying to at least save not only the beach, but save whatever's left of the beach. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hats off to them for doing that. And, th and you think about it, that part of Chicago um, it is it? I think it's one of the more accessible areas from a neighborhood to a beach mm -hmm. anywhere in the city. Because if you go down, you know, places like south of Belmont Harbor, you still have to cross Lakeshore Drive. Right. But if you're able to walk from your street basically across a parking lot into a beach without crossing the street, that's pretty darn good. And yeah. there's not many there's not many places in major metropolitan areas. I know there's no place in New York City like that. Um, but the fact that we have that here and we're, and we're recognizing it, that it's, um, that it's an asset to the community and to the, you know, the, the ecosystem, there's a lot of migrating birds in that area. Um, that, that just checks all the boxes on what's good about people recognizing that, not trashing. Uh, all right. We got a lot of photos to get through here. So let's pop some of these up. Cause, uh, you sent these along. This was Friday, the national visible satellite. Yeah, and, and, and again, and uh, let's make sure we leave about five minutes to talk about the U.N. Climate Summit because a lot of news came down the pike last night. Okay. But uh, this is what you call a comma cloud. So I always tell my students when you say, dear mom, and at the end of mom, you put the comma, the comma there. Um, that <laughs> comma cloud extends all the way. <laughs> dear mom, send money. Um, that comma cloud literally extends all the way from the Dakotas into Kansas um, east, northeast into um, northeast Canada. Uh, the northern part is over southern Hudson Bay. 
and the southern part goes all the way down to Florida. Wow. So this is literally encompassing uh, about 60% of the United States and about the lower 20% of Canada. And this was obviously the thing that brought us our um, rain Thursday morning, uh, the cold Friday afternoon, the snow, and then obviously the weather that we have yesterday and today. So this, this was a four-day event. Uh, this is Saturday. So this is the back side of it. Um, by the way, that that kind of narrow area of bright clouds from New York down to uh, Virginia produced severe weather. A couple of tornadoes reported across the Long Island area. You know, it's not uncommon. We're coming up on the anniversary, November 17th, of the worst tornado outbreak in history of the Midwest. And, you know, that F4 that went through Washington, Illinois back in 2013. Right. Um, so you can get you can get some pretty significant um, you know, weather systems. Again, the, the winds coming in from the northwest uh, over Oregon, not over Oregon, over Washington, uh, north of Oregon and into parts of Montana, producing just copious amounts of precipitation uh, in Washington State and the Olympic Peninsula. And now they have now they have flooding that they got to worry yeah, about. Yeah, well, landslides we- of- We've got some maps about that. Uh, we'll we'll get we can actually I yeah. could I could go right to that uh, if you yeah. wanted. Yeah. Let's Whatever let's you want to do. Uh, let's see here. Here's uh, this is um, there's uh, all right. Here's a precipitation map of uh, western part of the U.S. Look, yeah, look at uh, Washington State and Oregon. Uh, you know, but this is what the Pacific Northwest should look like. This is the kind right. of rain they get. Right. Now, 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 here's the thing. Um, I've been reading a lot of the discussions and what they're concerned about is that, A, they had some very heavy snow on top of that very heavy rain. So you'll get, you know, mudslides and things like that. But what was included for the first time in uh, their discussion was areas where they had recent wildfires. So the burn mm-hmm. scars uh, where you had basically nothing left except maybe the nubs of trees because everything burnt all the way down to the ground. Now you're getting some of that precipitation carrying away the soil mm. and producing mudslides over certain areas. So similar to we similar to what used to be more so of an occurrence in southern, central, and northern California in those mountainous areas, you're now getting uh, almost routinely in parts of the northern Oregon area and across the Cascades of Washington, but more specifically in the um, Olympic Peninsula. So if you look at the next map, this was what actually happened. Oh, this is what's oh, no, going no. to happen. This is what's going to happen. I don't I don't have another one. Uh, uh, let me, which map are you talking about? Uh, That's all right. This works. This works. Okay. All right. So this is the seven-day rainfall forecast, and this, again, now highlights the same areas that were hit with all that heavy rain and snow last week are now going to be in it again. So if you notice that area of the Olympic Peninsula, uh, parts of northern Washington up in the British Columbia, again, are having another 8 to 10 inches of liquid water. And I was just looking at some webcams up around Hurricane uh, Ridge. Which I've got is, that um, here. Let me find that for you. For you. Okay, this is pretty yeah, cool. And also, and also Whistler Peak, uh, what they're concerned about, and this was – this was, I think, on this was early in the week on the sixth, uh, and it you know could look like that on the sixth, and then three days later uh, they had this, which was almost it looks like about two feet of snow, and you know more than any anybody, Mike, from that area, uh, that's heavy wet snow. 
Yeah. And if you look at that webcam now, all the snow is completely melted and they're back to getting heavy rain with temperatures in the mid forties. Wow. So again, while the Olympic peninsula is probably going to be okay because they didn't really get into the wildfires as much, but it's the other areas mm-hmm. inland uh, that they're concerned about the areas that had the horrible heat wave and the horrible wildfires. Now they're getting uh, landslides and mudslides, and that's the kind of stuff that could ruin the ecosystem. So here's the forecast. Yeah, yeah here we are. So here's the forecast. That, yep, that shows uh, that shows the rain and the. It doesn't really show snow; it just shows liquid water. But it's those same areas east of Seattle and those mountains. Those were the ones that had horrible uh, fires, and again, the burn scars is where you're getting your mudslides. So. Um, this goes back to the Oso mudslide that I remember happening about six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Now they're concerned about this occurring in that particular area. So again, a La Nina pattern basically pushes the jet stream a little bit further north. It generally produces dry weather across the desert southwest where we don't need it. Uh, it produces very wet conditions from Washington State upward into British Columbia. Uh, Anchorage, Alaska just had 12 to 16 inches of snow the other day which was a daily record for November. And then as the jet stream sinks into the middle part of the United States, we get these big mid-latitude cyclones. So mm-hmm. as I mentioned several times before, you almost have to wait until you get into the middle of November, which is kind of like the middle of May, to determine what type of pattern you're going to get for the upcoming season. So November yeah. usually dictates what you're going to get in the wintertime and May basically for the summer. Um, and one thing you should know about the, the Olympic Peninsula in particular in Washington State, uh, I've seen uh, charts of rainfall uh, over the years. Uh, they will get up to 175 inches of rain annually. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and by comparison, Chicago gets 40. Okay, around <laughs> around 40. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's multi- why it's a temperate rainforest. That's why it's a rainforest, right. e- exactly. Here, and uh, here are some uh, the surface forecast. This is a 9 a.m. You sent this yesterday, of course. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, the, so the green basically has been what, what's going, what's occurring, right? And by the way, real quickly, as Peg was alluding to, it's a temperate rainforest. Uh, there's also a very large um, Native American reservation in that area. Mm-hmm. So even if you do get certain areas where you'll get um, massive amounts of mudslide, there's not a lot of development on that peninsula. So you're not going to get the impacts as you would uh, in areas, say, east of Seattle, where you have people building literally right at the yep. bottom of the canyon. So we've kind of learned that certain areas of the United States, you don't develop, and the Olympic Peninsula is one of those. Um, but the bottom line is that little bit of green over us, uh, that's about it. I mean, I think we're done with the precipitation here. Uh, the system went a little bit further uh, north than what was expected by about maybe 50 miles or so. And the closest that the snow came was just north of Madison, where they got about two or three inches around mm-hmm. the Beaver Dam area. But even if we do get a little bit of snow shower activity, which this is showing by later on this afternoon. Well, that's, this, is, uh, this is 12 p.m. right here, okay? And then, uh, yeah. all right, and then uh, 3 p.m. looks like this. Yeah, so everything should be shifting south of us in the next few hours, but the pocket of colder air is definitely going to be enough to produce some scattered snow showers. But I don't think the air is cold enough to really get any lake effect precipitation going, even though that's mm-hmm. showing some little bit of lake effect rain. It's moving through so quickly that it's not going to really amount to much. So while you see a little bit of lake effect rain coming through on this uh, scene or this image right here, 
less than a quarter of an inch is probably going to come out of it. This will end up being a fast-moving clipper system that eventually when the cold air locks in, there'll probably be four to six inches of lake effect snow east of Lake Erie and also east of Lake Ontario, which is common. Usually you'll get most of your lake effect snow in the month of November. So again, this is a very typical pattern for us um, in the month of November. So this next warm front coming at us, again, you can see the rain up to north of, of uh, Oregon, up in the Washington. When that happens, you get downslope warming across the Rocky Mountains. So that means temperatures in the 60s, even 70s in parts of eastern Colorado. But this is going to probably squeeze out a little bit of clouds and a couple of sprinkles of maybe wet snow around here tomorrow. But other than that, it's basically going to be cloudy. But what's nice is that warm air gets in here full force on Tuesday, so 55 to 60 Tuesday, and probably right now it looks like maybe even mid to upper 50s near 60 on Wednesday before the front finally begins to move through. So this was based on yesterday's maps. That front that you see there is now kind of to the west of us by about ah. noon tomorrow. So if you play it right tomorrow morning, not tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, you may be able to enjoy temperatures in the mid to upper 50s. It will be cloudy and it will be rainy. Uh, but that's, you know, that's common for this time of the year. Um, it's not like it's, we're going to have sunshine and anything warm for a while. So back to cooler weather for Thursday. And then for sure, um, on Friday, everything kind of quiets down a little bit. And we actually get into another shot of upper 40s to maybe low 50s for Friday and Saturday of wow. next week, which will make people yeah really happy because on Saturday is the Festival of Lights. And I drove down Michigan Avenue last night. And it was kind of odd because uh, most of the trees that they're going to start putting the lights on still have leaves on them. Wow. So I don't know how they're going to be wrapping those lights around the trees, but most of the trees downtown um, still, you know, along Michigan Avenue still have their lights on. Well, so you know, it kind we'll of depends. It kind of depends on the tree because the the cottonwood I love in my neighborhood so much uh, behind us on the the block uh, uh, north of us has pretty much lost all of its leaves now. It, it it hung on to them for the longest time, and just in the last few days, boom, they're all gone. So it kind of depends on the, the species of the tree. And, and were you Mike? Were you singing to the tree? Is that why it lost all its leaves? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's why my all right. I'm done. <laughs> That's why my cat runs out of the room as well. Yeah. So um, this is this is a seven-day rainfall. I think this forecast worked out pretty well from last week. Uh, we got about a half inch of rain, some pretty decent rain from Iowa up into parts of Wisconsin. And it's amazing how uh, variable the weather has been across the upper Midwest. We went from readings, if you remember last week, we had temperatures in the 60s. I think right. it hit 67. Um, no, wow. gorgeous last weekend. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, it was, it was gorgeous. The temperatures. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then and then all of a sudden they had three to five inches of snow. Yeah. Uh, basically from central Minnesota, not one but two different events came through. So even up there, I mean, people are aware that you're going to get these rapid changes um, in weather this time of the yeah, year. Yeah, and we've already seen this map, but now it's in context, and you can see not not a whole lot of uh, moisture in the next seven days here, is there? No, no, for us, for us out, outside of that quarter inch to half inch, if we get it Wednesday morning, that should be it. Um, and that, that's kind of nice because I think we need things to dry out a little bit. There's a lot of leaves out there that clearly people need yeah. to pick up, but you can definitely see or want to pick up. 
but you can definitely see how much of the desert southwest remained dry. And that's basically the six to 10 day. So wetter than normal across the deep south, uh, near to wetter than normal across the Pacific Northwest. And, and again, this is how La Nina's kind of start out, where you get that jet stream that's fairly strong across the Pacific Northwest, and you get a lot of downslope warming, uh, not only in the um, Sierras, um, into the Great Basin parts of Colorado as well. So they've gotten some pretty decent snow. I know they're already skiing in Jackson Hole. They're skiing in parts of Colorado. They're trying to ski in the Pacific Northwest. If it would stop raining in Whistler, it's not exactly the best place yeah. to ski anyway. Um, <laughs> but it isn't. I mean, it's, I mean, when they had the Olympics there in Vancouver years ago, I'm like, okay, guys, you realize it can it can rain at any time there, and it did. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does look like temperatures here. Um, outside of a couple of days of above normal to below normal, we're going to trend a little bit more so below normal. And that's going to be the case, obviously, uh, of what we were yesterday to, to today to tomorrow. Even though we warm up Tuesday and Wednesday, we go right back below normal for Thursday and Friday before we kind of squeak a little bit above normal. But if you look at it over a five-day period, three are above, two are below. So it's not really trending too terribly cold, uh, but one thing you could definitely see um, is that that growing area of warmer and drier across the California desert southwest. And if that's something that we can kind of like fixate on each week after each week after each week, that'll tell us that La Nina is definitely having more of an impact on the United States, especially the western part, than the eastern part. Ah, all right. Uh, well, you've, you've kind of given us a, that forecast, uh, not mm-hmm. a lot of rain, some variable temperatures over mm-hmm. the next few days, which uh, gets allows us to have that, that quick conversation about the wrap-up of uh, COP26. And you sent – oops, let me – I went to the wrong – Yeah, and I just got a breaking news headline. Uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and COP26 President Alex Sharma give news conference after global climate deal agreed. So that's just – Yeah, part, and, and I, I think – yeah, and, and that they're probably saying that we've agreed on something. Um, I know the U.S. and China already have a, announced a joint agreement to do more to cut emissions this decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brazil, China, Russia, and the United States, um, as well as, what, almost 100 of the countries, vowed to end deforestation by 2030. Uh, President Biden led the charge to, uh, along with 100 of the countries, to cut methane emissions down by about 30%. Uh, and India joined the growing chorus of nations, if you want to call it that, pledging to reach net zero emissions, setting 27D as a deadline. Although people wanted India to phase out coal, uh, India said, how about phase down coal? Phase down. So, and China um, said that too, yeah. didn't they? Phase down? Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, Indonesia. You gotta, right. And you got to realize that you know, there's still 230 million people in India that don't have electricity. So if you go to a country and say, we want you to phase out coal when coal is the number one way that they produce electricity, how, how are you being somewhat understanding of a country's ability to do something when their first goal is to get electricity to those people using coal? So that's why when, it, when I heard someone say, well, we, we didn't come up with a date. I'm like, you know what? You can't come up with a date because you got to put yourself in the position of where other countries stand. 
And if they're still trying to get, you know, some of their residents, um, citizens rather, uh, at least somewhere close to a standard of living that's acceptable for human beings in the year 2021, you phase down, you don't phase out. So I, I'm okay with that. I really am. And, and again, I know there's going to be some people who say, well, again, we came out of this deal or we came out of this climate summit without a concrete deal. First off, the fact that we were even able to meet during the year after we didn't meet because of the COVID pandemic and we're still, we're still struggling to meet because there were some countries that weren't vaccinated and people were still traveling and walking around the entire time with masks. I think in the end, you have to look at this as much more than a glass half full than a glass half empty. So I agree with UN Secretary or uh, Climate Envoy John Kerry, who basically came out of this and said, look, we, we accomplished a lot with what we had and, and where we were two years ago when, A, the U.S. wasn't here. For four years, we were not even part of any sort of international effort. So I, I think when you kind of look at it from that standpoint, a lot of things were, were achieved. You know, did we achieve everything? Of course not. You're never going to get to that point, especially when you're still under, you know, basically the, the threshold of a global pandemic, even though you can probably say in some areas it's come down, it still hasn't completely. And we know all the takes is, you know, going back to mandates all over again, you know, econ- economies across the globe will begin to suffer somewhat. So it's like, to me, I look at it as like, how far do you want to walk out onto the pond is kind of covered with ice, but it's also covered with snow. So you don't know how thin the ice is. And those last couple of steps you're taking, you're kind of, you're putting your foot down. And as soon as you hear a little bit of a crack, you begin to back up somewhat. So I think that's kind of how we entered into the, um, the, the, the COP26. And I think we came out of it standing a little bit stronger waiting for other countries to say how much they're going to cut, how much the rich countries are going to pledge, and then see where we are at this point next year. Well, and and an important thing to remember is that the $500 billion that we were going to put uh, towards climate change mitigation uh, has not been passed by Congress yet. We're still waiting for that to happen, which that will change things completely you know there's a lot that's going to come out of this as the days and weeks go by we're going to learn more and more about what uh, uh, agreements have been reached and which haven't been reached mm-hmm. yeah and then and then real quickly you know the news you know from an economic standpoint you know for the white house has been nothing but bad this last week because of the consumer price index is up inflation is up but it's kind of funny how People view inflation for the price of homes as a great thing if you own a home. So home prices are up 16%. If you're trying to buy a home, it's terrible, all right? But inflation actually includes the price of homes. (laughs) So all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Home price is now up. That's great. But yet inflation's up. That sucks. But that's part of it. Now, granted, the supply chain, which is completely related to the pandemic, is causing chips to not to be um, delivered. And that means cars are not being delivered. That means used cars are up because there haven't been enough new cars out. And any new cars that are out, uh, you can't make a deal on it. So the prices of that goes up. And again, demand goes up. If people's money that they have in their pocket goes up because, remember, we put in $3 trillion 
into the freaking economy. We printed money. So now you have all this money that's basically there for free. People go, wow, you know what? Now I can buy something. And if there's more demand and less supply, what does that do? The price goes up. So this was kind of like the, the writing on the wall was there. We knew inflation was going to go up. But from a standpoint of allowing the current administration to have more bargaining outside of the Paris Climate Accord, that hurts them a lot. And I think that's what that's what the problem is now, is that everything that's happening in the short term domestically is going to hurt uh, Biden from a standpoint long term with the climate um, initiative with, with the Build Back Better plan, which is why I think finally the progressive wing of the Democratic Party got smart and said, all right, guys, we don't have the lifeguard stands to, that we thought we had to man the, the lifeguard stations. It's basically, basically it comes down to that. I finally said that the tea leaves are not blown in their favor. Um, and, and it took them, I think, for two weeks too long for that to happen. So in this, the economic capital that I think the White House thought they had two weeks ago, um, or even a week ago, is not there based on what happened this week. And you just have to let those, those kind of ripples of unhappy waters eventually just fade away. And hopefully things will come back to normal. But I think as we all know, um, we've all lived through periods of, of inflation. It never just goes, it never goes away with policy. It just eventually just goes away. No one ever really knows when it begins. No one ever really knows when it peaks. No one ever really knows when it goes away. It's one of the toughest things to predict. And right yep. now, um, anything that comes out of COP20 is like, well, we got that. We should be happy about it. Don't ask for any more at this point. Okay. Uh, good analysis. I appreciate it. Okay. We, we're really late here. So I'm going to say goodbye. Uh, have a great week. Uh, we will see you uh, next Sunday. Yeah, no more singing until next week. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it down. <laughs> and, keep and, and, it down. and layers for your walks. Yeah, yeah, layers for your walks and for your dogs as well, right? Yep, absolutely. Well, if if, if they need a, a layer or a thunder shirt, yeah, I need a thunder shirt sometimes. So, all right, have a have a great week, Rick. All right, there he goes. Okay, and uh, here we are, and I think we get to do this and thank all all the people who are on the show today, uh, Jill Bondi from. Bartlett Tree Experts and um, Scott DeFife uh, from uh, both of his organizations, uh, which I do not have in front of me now. The Glass Packaging Institute and the Glass Recycling Foundation. You've got the rundown. Great. I appreciate that. Of course, thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMille, to Kathleen, who does so much behind the scene you, you can't even imagine. Uh, to Legata the cat who runs out of the room when I sing, and Basil the dog who would do the same thing. So until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Uh.